But I want to start by telling you a story. For those of you who know me, you'll know um, I worked in India for a couple of years with Oasis. Um, and uh, Oasis works all over India. It works in Mumbai, Bombay, in Bangalore, and in Ch Chennai, what was called Madras. And I uh, used to live in Mumbai, and every Monday morning I'd get up and get on the train uh, for about 40 minutes down through the city of Mumbai to a place called Grant Road. Um, and I'd get off the train at this train station called Grant Road. It was right in the heart of the city. It was all the sort of old British colonial buildings. It was actually all the sort of the mills and things that were built in that area of the city. And I'd get off and I'd go and have my breakfast in this cafe. It was a Parsi cafe. I'd go and have jam bread and some hot spicy tea. And then I'd set off on my walk to the project and you'd walk through this market and there'd be a market, I don't know whether you've seen sort of Indian markets on the TV or perhaps you've been to India, but like, you know, stuff everywhere and live animals and, you know, just noise and sound and colour everywhere. And you get out to the other side of the market and immediately you're in the middle of Bombay's red light district. Um, and Oasis set up a project called Aruna in the red light district. Um, and it was a project that was there to look after and to care for and to make friends with and to give support and guidance and teaching to uh, women who had been trapped in servitude, I guess, in slavery in the red light district. And women would come during the day and they'd come and have a cup of tea, have some food, chat to somebody, but they'd come and learn basic English and they'd come and learn some life skills. But I guess most of all, they'd come and sit with the staff and they'd tell their stories and just make some friends. And they tell pretty um, appalling stories, really. So they'd come and tell their story of a life that had sometimes been trafficked into slavery. They'd come and tell their stories of their children who were having to sleep under their beds while they were at work in the evening. They'd tell these gross stories that were appalling. And some of the women that were there were underage. Some of them were under the age of 18. And they'd be supposedly rescued by the police, but actually it was more like arrested by the police and shipped off to a, a halfway home. And they'd be in these detention centers that were, they'd be put in a different part of the city, which would be a, an army barracks that had razor wire around the top of the fences. And because lots of them had been trafficked women, so they'd been perhaps trafficked from Bangladesh or Nepal or other bits of India, um, they'd sort of wait there indefinitely to be hopefully repatriated back to where they were from. And we did some work in the, in the detention center too. And we do life skills. And frankly, I've never come across such broken people. These were girls from 14 up um, who would tell, again tell you these horrific stories of having had their childhood taken away from them. And they'd sit there waiting to be repatriated. And frankly, even if they were sent home, that wasn't necessarily a positive end of the story. They feasibly got home to families that didn't want them because of the shame of what had happened to them. And I tell you this at the beginning of this talk because I guess you wouldn't be human hearing a story like that or coming across it and thinking, perhaps this is all there is. Perhaps the world is quite a dark, cold place. Perhaps that's the point of life and there's nothing we can do about it. And yet we read this this verse, I guess, this stanza in the Apostles' Creed that says, actually, there's something different. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't the final word. There is hope. We believe in the bodily resurrection and life everlasting. 
we read this stanza at the end of the Apostles' Creed that says, no, there's something different. And I guess the first thing I want to say about the, that sentence in the Apostles' Creed is this, that it says we believe in the bodily resurrection. There's this sense built into that sentence that is affirming humanity and, frankly, is affirming the entire cosmos, the whole world. It's saying there's something inherently good built into the fabric of the world. It's saying the bodily resurrection. It is not saying destroy this evil stuff that is cold and hard and barren and start again with something new. It's saying the bodily resurrection. It's affirming that there's an essence of goodness built into the fabric of the world. And I guess if you'd read the rest of the Apostles' Creed, it talks about God, we believe God created the world. And if you read the stories of Genesis, at the beginning, God creates the earth and skies. God creates animals. God creates humans. And God said, it is good. God doesn't say, it's pretty terrible, but it'll do. God says, it is good. And I think into this sentence in the Apostles' Creed is a sense that humanity and the cosmos is actually essentially good. Um, and we believe in the bodily resurrection. So, we're going to do something slightly different. I hope this will be okay this morning. A couple of times, I want you to just talk together, if that's okay. If you don't want to talk to the people next to you, that is absolutely fine. You can just sit and ponder these questions in your head. But I've got this first couple of questions going to stick up on the screen. Can you read that? It says, how, is it, how easy is it to believe that the cosmos is inherently good? And secondly, if you saw humanity as intrinsically good, how would that shape the way you behave with other people? How would that shape the way you interact with other people? So I'm going to give you a few minutes just to, if you want to, sit and talk to the person next to you about that. Uh, and just see what you think about those two questions, if that's all right. I think we're going to stick a little bit of music on while you talk about that. Sorry to interrupt your conversations, but you're going to get a chance to talk again in a couple of minutes. So, those are huge questions, aren't they, if we're honest? Like, in the core of us, how easy is it to believe that at the core, the world is a good place? And what does that mean for the way we deal with other people? Do we come from a place of these people, this cosmos is good, or do we start from a place of they're probably wrong? Um, huge questions, aren't they? Let me tell you another story. Um, so I am, um, as you probably know, work for Oasis, and my job is to try and uh, develop community work in some of the other communities we work in around the country. Um, and over the last, I think, two or three months, I've had the privilege of being able to go and just wander around some of these communities with a bunch of people. So we've been thinking about trying to develop some housing work in those communities. Um, and I went to one uh, community not so very long ago in the north, and we wandered around this estate. Um, and this estate is a place that has been forgotten by the society we live in. It's an estate where every other house is burnt out. It's an estate where some of the houses have been boarded up and they've now got offensive graffiti written in huge letters across them. It's an estate where one of the houses we looked at has got big wrought iron fences around it and then inside it is just dumped a load of rubbish, um, bed, um, beds and you know, people's junk that they've thrown out of their houses. It's an estate where there's a slightly 
more middle class um, neighborhood that's been built right next door to it. And the developers decided to cut all the access roads in half and build six foot wrought iron just you know, panel sheets across the middle of the road to make sure that this estate didn't impact that estate. It's an estate where kids who go to our schools, um, we run a couple of schools in that place, um, end up living in houses that sometimes haven't had running water for several months. It's an estate where kids that go to our schools live in houses that don't have carpet and they're just walking on bare floorboards that have got holes in them. It's not only an estate that's been forgotten by society, it's an estate that we've almost tried to cut off from society to make sure it doesn't impact our nice middle-class lifestyles. So I guess you wouldn't be human if you heard that story and didn't think perhaps this is the way the world is. Perhaps that's all there is. We live in a cold, hard world and that's the way society works. And yet, we read that sentence at the beginning. We believe in the bodily resurrection and life everlasting. Uh, everlasting. The Apostle Creed screams back to us, no, that's not the end of the story. That isn't the final word. It's not supposed to be that way. Um, and it says bodily resurrection. I guess in uh, Christian theology, there's this great big sense built into resurrection about renewal as opposed to destroy what's gone before and start again with something completely different. Um, you know, it must have been two or three months ago, we, were, we did that series on Revelation, um, and we talked at one point about Revelation 21, that bit where it says, I see a new heaven and a new earth. Um, and I think we talked at the time about the word new is really important in that context. The word new, that when you look back to the Greek, there are several different ways of saying new in Greek. One of them is neo, N-E-O. Neo. And neo means something just distinctly new in time. It means like there wasn't a house here, and now I've built a house, and there is a new house, a neo house. Whereas the word that's used in Revelation isn't that version of new. It's a word called kainos, K-A-I-N-O-S. And kainos means the same stuff, but with a distinctly new flavor. It means qualitatively different but it means the same stuff with a different quality, with a different essence. It doesn't mean knock down the house and start again. It means take the house and make it qualitatively different, give it a new essence. It means renewed. So you'd be better translating that passage in Revelation as a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. And that's really important for us, isn't it? Because we could look at resurrection as being the escape plan. So, you know, the world's pretty terrible, it's pretty cold, it's pretty barren, but don't worry, at the end of time, we're all floating off to somewhere different. And actually, built into the Bible, and I think built into this sentence about resurrection, is this sense that actually resurrection means renewal, right here, right now. It means change the essence of what currently exists. It actually means what's coming next is going to be something more real, more tangible, more physical, than what currently exists. It doesn't mean this float off to somewhere else. And that's really important for us, doesn't it? Because it affects how we see our role in that. If we're just biding our time through a cold, hard world, well, actually, you know, why bother doing much? We should float off to somewhere else at the end of time. Actually, renewal perhaps says something different that we'll come back to in a moment. Let me tell you a third story. Um, this week, uh, we had our annual fundraising dinner for Oasis, um, where we rent a boat and cruise up and down the 
River Thames, and the fundraising team, in their wisdom, decided to auction my dancing um, at the front. So rest assured, we have no financial troubles ever again now. Um, <laughs> there are videos if you want to see the dancing. Anyway, um, we were on this fundraising boat, and we got on at Westminster Pier, just opposite Big Ben, and you sail up and down the rivers. You sail down to the Millennium, the O2 Millennium Dome, and turn around and sail back again. And Steve spoke, and he was doing his impassioned plea. I think some of the people sitting in the room were there, but to say, you know, this is important, the stuff that Oasis does, we do want to get involved. And Steve was talking about the fact that as you get on the boat, you sail through the centre of, you know, one of, if not the richest city on earth, don't you? You sail through opulence, you sail past the signs of power, you sail past imperious statues, you sail past um, great big skyscrapers where all the biggest banks in the world make their money. You sail past might and power and wealth. And there's this sense, as you sail past all of that, that our society is set up to make sure that the small number of rich get richer. And yet, just in this service, we've talked about a community which is a matter of hundreds of meters away from that belt of opulence that runs through our city that feels under siege, as Steve put it, that feels robbed of the community, that feels like it has to use the food bank. You know, numbers in our food bank have gone up exponentially over the last years because they can't afford to meet ends meet. It feels like payday loans are the place to go because, you know, how do you make things meet at the end of the month? It feels like hotels are going to be built and you're going to be isolated in your home even more than you currently are. So I guess you wouldn't be human if you didn't hear that story of our society set up to be power, wealth and might. <laughs> Got a phone call. <laughs> um, I guess you wouldn't be human if you didn't hear that story set up to be about power, wealth and might without thinking, is this the point? Is this all there is? Our society set up in that way. Is that the way it's supposed to work? And yet the Apostles' Creed in that sentence screams back to us, no, this isn't supposed to be the way it is. No, this isn't the end of the story. No, this is not the final word. And I guess, again, built into the word resurrection. Even in the Apostles' Creed, it talks through Jesus death and resurrection. And I don't think you can decouple the two. If you're going to look at Jesus' resurrection, you need to look at how he got there, don't you? Jesus got there by saying, I'm not going to go for wealth, power, might. Jesus got there by saying, I'm going for weakness. I'm going for softness. I'm going for humility. I'm going for service of other people. I'm going from calling out unjust structures where they exist. I'm going for calling out the stuff that isn't the way it's supposed to be. And he will have known full well that that meant he would come, he'd be trampled by the society that he lived in. He knew full well that he'd be trampled by the might, opulence, power. He knew full well that that would end up with him dying on a cross. And so I don't think you can understand the resurrection bit without looking at what Jesus was aiming for in the first place. And it was weakness, it was softness, it was humility, it was service. It was all the things that we look at as a society and almost despise. Like, how could you be weak? How could you be soft? How could you be humble? Those are terrible things. And yet, those are the things that Jesus did, knowing full well it would lead to his death on a cross. So then Jesus' resurrection in that context says something supremely powerful, doesn't it? It says, actually, this weakness and softness and humility and service did lead to pain. It did lead to death on a cross. 
However, there's resurrection. That is okay. That is the route we're supposed to follow. That is the path. Don't go for power, don't go for power, wealth, strength, might. Those are not the things that are the fabric of the world. And when we hear the second half of the um, Apostles' Creed, it says the bodily resurrection and life everlasting. Like what a glimpse of what the Bible tells us life everlasting is really all about. The golden thread that runs through the cosmos is about service, is about softness, is about humility. It's not about all those other things. And so I think even the Apostle Creed tells us some of that story. And so we get onto resurrection at the end. And I think built into resurrection is this sense of it's not a float off somewhere else. It's not an escape plan particularly. This is do something here, do something now, and be soft and weak and humble and service-minded, even though you sail down the River Thames and you're told with every fibre of your being, do the exact opposite. So I've got another question for you to look at. Uh, renewal, not destruction. There you go. That's our farm. That is renewal right here, isn't it? Here you go. What would London look like if we pursued softness, weakness, humility and the service of others what would our neighborhood here look like what would our city look like if we went genuinely went for those things again if you're up for it why don't you if you didn't like the conversation you just had turn the other way but um <laughs> uh, why don't you talk about those things Um, sorry to interrupt your conversation again, but you can come and watch the football and talk about this some more, or you can have a cup of tea or coffee after the service and talk about this some more. Let me tell you one more story. Um, 18 months ago, I think it was 18 months ago, maybe two years, but um, Oasis, as lots of you will know in the room, took responsibility for setting up a refugee uh, safe house for young people who, it was at the time when the camp in Calais, you know, the, the jungle camp, um, and the French authorities were about to shut it down, bulldoze it, and there was huge pressure on the government in this country to accept some of those refugees. Um, and to be honest, with that arm twisted behind their back, they did the smallest thing possible, um, which was take a small number of the underage children that lived in the camp there. But on the Friday, uh, Oasis got wind of that and Steve, and so I rang up the home office and said, we'll do it. Um, we didn't have anywhere for them to stay or any staff to run it or any food to feed them or any of that sort of stuff. But by the Wednesday, they were turning up uh, our centre that we ran with the Salvation Army. Um, and some of these underage kids, um, and they really were underage, there was a whole media story about how actually these were 25-year-olds who were slipping into our country under the age of pretending to be under the age of 18. Well, when they presented to you, they looked relatively hardened, but could you blame them? They'd just been on you know, a year-long journey from the Sudan. Um, but when you really got to know them, they were children. And they, again, told you their stories. And if any of you had the privilege of being able to go and volunteer there, and I know lots of you did, they told you stories. They were from the Sudan, and they were from Iraq, and Iran, and Syria, and bits of North Africa. And they told you their stories of having to leave their home and their families you know, as children, as 14-year-olds, as 15-year-olds, and travel across a continent to Libya. They told you their stories of having been put in prison in Libya. They told you their stories of being sexually abused along the journey. They told you their stories of climbing into a boat with hundreds of other people which capsizes before it gets to Italy and swimming for your life. 
They told you their stories of hanging onto the underside of a lorry to get across France. They told you their story of being crammed in the back of a vehicle to get to live in the dirt in Calais and to get to be forgotten by France and Britain, you know, two of the richest nations on earth, while they sit in the dirt and wait for some politicians to decide what to do with them. Ultimately, some of them ended up with here with us temporarily, and I guess, you know, got a positive welcome to the UK as they could have done. Um, but who knows where they've ended up now in, in our society, frankly. But you can't listen to those stories and you can't listen to the prayers that we read earlier about those crises and not think, honestly think, perhaps this is all there is. Perhaps that's what it is. Perhaps that is the final word. Perhaps our society just works like that and we should make our peace with it. And yet the Apostles' Creed screams back, no, that is not the final word. That is not the end of the story. That's not the way it's supposed to be. There's hope. There's bodily resurrection and life everlasting. And again, built into resurrection is this sense that we talk about all the time. But it's called inaugurated eschatology. So we're not waiting for the end of time to float off somewhere else. We're waiting for renewal right here. We're waiting to draw out the goodness of the creation that already exists. And so we've got a job right here, right now. We can do stuff to bring about the goodness of the world. We can do stuff to actually affirm the goodness of the world right now. We can do stuff to renew the earth and get involved in the plan right now. And it doesn't always work and there are still terrible things that happen, but we get the opportunity to punch holes in the darkness as is a phrase that we sometimes use to describe this. We get the opportunity to actually search for that golden thread which runs through the cosmos, that golden thread of goodness which is built into humanity. It's called inaugurated eschatology. It's we've got a job right here, right now. We are not the people that sit and wait for this terrible, sad world to end so that something different can happen. We are the people that can get involved right now. Let me tell you one final story. Um, again, in my job with Oasis, um, I work in some other communities and um, a few weeks ago had the privilege of sitting with a, a woman in one of our communities who told us her story, me and a couple of others, and she started her story in the terrible ways that some of those others have started. It was a story of being trapped at home. It was a story of domestic violence. It was a story of feeling depressed to the point where she wanted to kill herself. It was the story of feeling completely isolated in her community. It was the story of just feeling she'd got no skills, talents, anything going on for her. But there was a comma. She went on um, and met one of our community workers in the hub, hub that I'm talking about. And the community worker she met, she's a parent at one of our schools, and met the community worker just standing outside the playground. She didn't talk to anybody because she had no friends, but standing outside the playground, one of our community workers just gave her a friendly smile. And that gave her the confidence the following day to come back and have a tiny conversation with the community worker. And that gave her the confidence to come back a few days later and sit down and have a cup of tea with this particular person. And ultimately, that led to the confidence to get involved in taking on one of the courses at the community centre where we work. And she went on to tell the story and said, I've now taken part in a teaching assistant course. And I'm now actually completing the course and thinking about getting a job as a teaching assistant. And she said, I can't tell you how much more confidence I've got. And I can't tell you how much lib more liberated I feel. Actually, I've become a better mum. Actually, this has been good for me and my entire family. 
actually, I now feel positive in life. Actually, I don't feel depressed anymore. I've been able to work through some of that and can actually deal with some of it. And she told you this story of complete resurrection, in my mind, complete transformation. And it was a story that you just sat there, and I guess in my bones you can feel this is just good. This is definitely the essential goodness of humanity born out of somebody. This is definitely the golden thread that runs through humanity that you can just tangibly see in front of you. This is definitely renewal. This is not destruction of something that was bad and start again with something completely new. This is same person with a new essence, a new flavor, a new quality in her life. And she was telling me that. I wasn't telling her that. This was a thin place where you could see heaven and earth renewed together. You could just feel it tangibly in the room. This was a story that started with weakness and softness. It started with a smile in the playground. It started with the preparedness to sit down and have a cup of tea and take time that probably that person didn't really have. This wasn't a story that was might and power and wealth and crush the bad stuff and start again. This was softness and humility and kindness and actually led to complete transformation. And this was a story that was living resurrection. This was inaugurated eschatology right here, right now. You could see the goodness being drawn out of somebody. You could see the golden thread right here, right now. And actually, this lady went on to say, and this is great because I'm so inspired by what's going on here that I now want to help all my other friends that I know are in a similar position to the way I was. You could see it being passed on right in front of your eyes. Now, if that's not resurrection, I don't know what is. And so I'm going to wrap up now so we can all watch the football. But um, uh, what I really wanted to say is I think the Apostle Creed is incredible. This is this document written, up, written down by the early church of a load of different clauses of things that the early church believed. And some of them are a bit more exciting than others. And some of them are things you can believe in your head. And some of them are things you can do stuff about. But it finishes with this just scream of hope in the last sentence. It's almost like in capital letters, hope as the last um, sentence. And how incredible is that, that the Apostles' Creed, and frankly, this all is born out of our theology of the New and Old Testaments, but says we are the people of hope. We are not the people that think we live in a cold, barren world and ultimately we're off somewhere else. We are the people that want to affirm the goodness in society. We are the people that want to renew right here, right now. We are the people that want to be about weakness and service and humility. We are the people that want to get involved and see resurrection happen right here, right now. And the second half of that clause, everlasting life. I think if you want to get a glimpse, we don't really know what that means, do we? And we're all struggling around to know what that means. But if you want to get a glimpse of something that looks eternal, that looks everlasting, I think you find it as, it, as it's drawn out, you know, in that story I just told you of that person. I think that's the golden thread, the everlasting bit that's built into our humanity. And, you know, we hear other sentences you know, a light in the darkness that shall never be put out. And I think that's where you find that light in the darkness that won't be put out. So I want to finish by saying that the Apostles' Creed, final sentence, screams, we are the people of hope. Going to stop there.